The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the seventh chapter. Mark writes, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth, And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. And the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had been and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more that he charged them, the more zealously that they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please. Dear saints, Imagine this scene. You sit down to watch a highly anticipated football game between your favored team and the feared rival. Maybe cats and the Grizz. Doesn't matter which side you're on, cats or the Grizz. You look around and everyone is dressed to support their team. Navy and gold, maroon and silver. The crowd is loudly taunting each other as to who will win. The different supporters cheer at the top of their lungs as their team runs out onto the field. Excitement is in the air. But when the officials take the field, the whole crowd falls totally still and silent. The refs you see are not wearing their normal black and white zebra-striped uniforms. They are wearing the colors 
of your rival team. And once the crowd gets over their shock and awe, the whole stadium is turned into an uproar because despite their own bias towards one team or another, the spectators and the players, they had come to see a fair game. The officials are supposed to show no partiality or favoritism, yet here they are, proudly showing who they are going to. To give their allegiance to who they are going to prefer in this battle. The refs are not supposed to have a favorite team. How can you do your job and judge fairly if you favor one team over the other one? They're supposed to treat everyone equally. Dear Saints, have you ever heard a statement so bold or so profound that it renders you speechless or stuns you in a state of confusion. Listen to this. Jesus came to do two things. To forgive and to be unfair. Just in case you missed that, let me, let me say that again. Jesus came to do Two things, to forgive and to be unfair. You see, what is fair to you and me, to us, it has to make sense. And it's, it's like a scale. And I guess that's probably why lawyers use a scale as their emblem, because it's, it's a balance. It's what's just. It's what's right. It's what makes sense. It's an if-then. I do this, I get this. It's fair. And that's our version of fairness. Now imagine a second scene. Two different people walk into church this evening. One is well-dressed, well-spoken, and smiling while the other looks gloom and depressed, is dressed with faded or tattered clothes, and perhaps even smells as if, as if they haven't showered or even shaved for over a month. While it is tempting and perhaps so much more comfortable and safe to talk only to the people that you know and love here at our worship services, you know, or at least you should know, that first impressions of whom we welcome and don't welcome may make a lasting difference, and it'll determine whether guests will choose to ever come here again. So what will you do? Who will you approach and welcome? Will you welcome the well-dressed, clean, and smiling person? Or will you approach the sad-looking, dirty, and poorly-dressed attendee? This is a time to be honest with yourself. What colors will you be wearing? Will you show favoritism toward the rich and friendly or the poor and depressed? You see, the twist is, as a Christian, you are not allowed to be the spectator who can choose sides. 
You're supposed to act according to your faith in your Savior, Jesus the Christ, who is not fair. He shows no partiality or bias. We're not allowed to sit by and let someone else show mercy because as one who has received mercy from God, we're all now supposed to be the merciful ones. Everyone else in our lives are the spectators who are watching our actions and our judging. And they judge our every single word as we speak them because they know that we bear the name of Christ as Christians. They know that no matter our age, our abilities, we're supposed to be the ones who act justly and graciously without bias or favoritism. And if we are to show any favoritism at all, we're to show it towards the poor and the troubled. So just coming along to worship and pretending that we're good people for just an hour a week, we show up for service. Isn't that good enough? Only hypocrites do that. Or as we put it a few weeks ago, nominal Christians, our faith is supposed to be lived out in every hour of every day, no matter where we are or who is watching. Unfortunately, it's easy for us to show favoritism in our family lives, in our workplaces, on the sporting fields, and yes, even here in church. We like to talk to certain people, but not to others. We invite some people into our lives, into our circle of friends, but we often exclude others from that opportunity. We might serve some people, but let others, well, they can just help themselves. We willingly gossip and criticize some, but will defend and protect others. But some people might want to argue that we're not saved by what we do. We don't have to be perfect because Christ, he was perfect for us. Well, it's true that we are saved by grace through faith for the sake of Jesus Christ. We're not saved by anything that we do or do not do. We trust in our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And that's the good news. And that would only be fair, wouldn't it? We trust that he is perfect for us. We trust that he died to pay for anything that we do or do not do. Christ shows no partiality towards any of us, but freely suffered and died for us, even though he knows we don't deserve it. He even forgives us for our favoritism. And this is all part of what we believe when we say such things as, Christ alone, grace alone, and faith alone. But you see, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when we put our own reason to this, it doesn't make sense. It is natural for us to want to put our own equation, a metrics to how this all works in this world. Rules, laws, it has to be fair. You see, it works this way. 
If we believe that we deserve or can one day deserve the grace of God, then we'll naturally gravitate towards those who we think are more deserving of our attention and our service. We live in the law. What makes sense to us? If we do this, then we will receive this. On the other hand, if we believe that we can never deserve the grace of God and have received forgiveness, life, and salvation as a free and undeserving gift, we might be more willing to give attention and service to others whom many consider as undeserving. If we live out what we believe, then when we show favoritism or partiality, we may be revealing something of what we believe about God or even about our own selves. We're often challenged by the fact that Jesus didn't mix so much with the rich or the successful or even the obedient. In fact, he often criticized the obedient for their misplaced trust in themselves and their own righteousness, their own goodness. Instead, he came and he lived and worked and taught among the poor, among the sick, the frail, the sinful, the unloved, the rejected and the frowned upon. They were people we often want to avoid because we may think that we're not as good or faithful or attractive or easy to get along with as we think that we are. Now, I know that we're naturally impressed or attracted to those who are rich, successful, or who seem to do all of the right things. We may also feel uncomfortable being with the dirty, the poor, and the unwashed. We don't like the way that they smell, the way that they dress, or the way that they look, or the way that they even act. We might consider them unworthy of our attention, service, and our love. Yet if God were to treat us in the same way that we treat others, well, there'd be little hope for any of us, would there? No matter how good we think we are, thank God that Christ is unfair. And the good news is this, that the creator of the world loves us and considers us worthy of his holy gifts, but not because of anything that we've done or will ever do. He doesn't love us because we're lovely and beautiful or obedient or worthy of his attention. He sees us as poor, helpless, and miserable sinners, a bunch of undeserving beggars, and he still loves us anyway. He knew that we wouldn't save ourselves or come to him under our own power, or be worthy of him through our own efforts. So he came to us as a fellow human. He came in the person of Jesus Christ to save us poor, helpless sinners unfairly. He then showed a radical justice towards us, a justice which loves the unlovable, heals the sick, sick, grants eternal life to those who die and forgives 
serial offenders like you and me. None of this is because of any of our own merit. We don't deserve it, but it is because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a love which is determined to love no matter how unworthy the recipient is. Faith in Jesus Christ will always act according to God's radical unfairness towards others, especially the poor, the undeserving, the smelly, and the misunderstood. The lonely, the widow, the refugee, and the sinner. And he does this with mercy and grace. Just as we've been unfairly loved, accepted, forgiven, and raised up by Jesus, even though we don't deserve it, we're to do the same for others. Treat them as we've been treated by Christ. Show no partiality or favoritism. Love and serve the rejected, the oppressed, and the undeserving. It doesn't matter about our age, our ability, our knowledge, or even our availability. In the daily battle between favoritism and mercy, let mercy and love abide. Let mercy triumph over judgment. Pray boldly for those in need. Pray for God's will to be done. Pray for mercy and grace. But it's hard, isn't it? Aren't there times that you have prayed to God and you end up even more confused and wonder if God has even heard our desperate prayers? Have you ever wondered why God has allowed to happen the very thing that you prayed to God would not happen? Like the woman whose daughter was possessed by a demon. Our most anxious of prayers is to God for our loved ones. For them to be relieved of the suffering that we see through them. For them to be healed so they can be free of the sickness, the pain, the suffering, the oppression that has overcome their bodies. Have you ever prayed over a friend and couldn't understand why it feels as though no one is listening? I am not being heard. Have you prayed for healing, but it appeared God was not listening? Not in the way that I wanted him to listen to me anyway. So you persisted in prayer, even for just a crumb, a morsel. But they became worse, a lot quicker than you even predicted. It's not fair. So why do we pray? It's because like the Seraphonician woman, we pray to Jesus because we know that he alone can heal. We read the acts of his healings that he performed in our scripture lessons. We hear how people are healed in Jesus's name. So why not heal our friends? Why then are loved ones not healed or still gripped by depression and anxiety? It's not fair. And many say, I can't believe in a God who allows, allows bad things to happen to innocent children. 
Perhaps these people have prayed to God for their child and felt as if their request, well, it fell on silent ears. Have you ever felt like the psalm writer in Psalm 22? My God, why are you so far away? Won't you listen to my groans and come to my rescue? I cry out day and night, but you don't answer and I can never rest. Psalm 22, 1 and 2. It's not fair. And then there are times where we can see how God has responded. We can all probably think of times where we have seen God answer our prayers in such amazing ways. And some people would realize an amazing coincidence of how things just seem to work out. Well, there are no coincidences. They are, there, they are all God incidents. Even if they don't turn out how we expected them to, they are all God incidents. As God has said, he works for the good of all of those who love him. It's easy for us to ride on the highs of our Christian experiences and be elated over the way that we have seen God work in our own lives. There once was a news article where a man walked away from what looked like a mangled car just resting against a tree. Posts on social media were saying that he, well, he should just go buy a lottery ticket. This guy's lucky. Others said, well, it just simply wasn't his time. And yet another said that somebody must be watching over him. Our experiences of prayer and answers to prayers can seem like a roller coaster experience. It can be smooth and calm where things are going well in our lives and we give thanks to God for his goodness. Then all of a sudden there are twists and turns in our lives that cause us to be anxious and to plead for Jesus' help to get us through these terrible troubles. You see, God's love surpasses all understanding. Our understanding about what is fair, what is unfair, what's just and what's right, deserving and undeserving. We all just want to be treated fairly, don't we? But do we really? Do we really want what we deserve? Today, we hear where Jesus was in Gentile territory and he had gone into a house for a rest and to get away from the crowds. But as soon as he had heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and she fell at his feet. She prayed to him. While we cannot know exactly what Jesus was thinking as the Seraphonician woman came to him, Jesus's immediate response is to appeal to the limits of his mission, his call to serve his own people, those that are on his team, wearing his colors. 
And in Matthew's version of this story, Jesus begins by saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's Matthew 15, 24. But in Mark 7, Jesus says, first, let the children eat all that they want. He told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That wouldn't be fair, now would it? It's even a little nasty for Jesus to say that she was undeserving. She wasn't on his team. But this desperate mother comes back at him with a quite clever response. Sir, even the little dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus can only agree for saying that you may go. Jesus says the demon has left your daughter. Jesus shows that God's love and healing, his healing power, no, no ethic, no political or social boundaries. They're not fair. Jesus praises this woman's faith and he tells her her daughter is healed. She receives the gift of salvation, of forgiveness. And like the Seraphonician woman, we come to Jesus assured of the promise to ask and you shall receive. And whatever you ask for in my name, it will be given to you, even though we are not even worthy to come into Jesus's presence because of the sin that is in our own lives. It's because we, like the woman, have heard about Christ and we come to him in our prayers, our mediator. In boldness, we ask for even a crumb of his mercy. As Martin Luther approached his death, he spoke these words, we are all beggars. This is true. As beggars, we open ourselves to Christ's mercy. Just as the Seraphonician woman received far more than just a crumb, we have confidence in Jesus that he will answer our prayers according to his goodness and mercy. So what is it that gives us the confidence to persist in prayer, even though sometimes it appears that Jesus is not interested in helping us? He's not on our team. Well, let's look at it this way. If you need help with something, anything, whether it's at work or home or you're in the middle of doing something and you just need help, who do you call upon? Why do you ask that certain person, that certain individual and not somebody else? It's because you know that they are trustworthy and you can confidently call upon them in your time of need. And that's the reason that we continue to pray to Jesus. We believe that he hears our prayers and gives us much more than crumbs. Even though we all come as beggars to the table, it is solely by God's grace that we receive healing and salvation. Even though as beggars, we could only ask for crumbs. Jesus has given us much more than what we need, more than enough. He gives us the abundance in this life. Jesus does not leave any of us 
in this state of poor, miserable beggars, worthless, undeserving sinners. He seats us at the table and he claims us as God's beloved children, children from every tribe and every language in every nation, no matter what colors we're wearing. God's table is immeasurably larger than any of us can even imagine. Because we know God's heart and his character of love and mercy, we have confidence to come to God through Jesus in prayer. Even though there are times when God may appear silent or perhaps even appear cruel, it's then when we cling to what Jesus' words of promise are. Behold, I am with you always. I'm on your team. It's what gives us confidence to know that even though our loved ones didn't receive temporary healing in response to our prayers, they did receive complete healing, complete healing of no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, and are living in God's eternal presence free from any evil spirit. Dear saints, wouldn't it be fair for us only to receive what we deserve, the forgiveness that we deserve by our own merit. That's the law. That's what makes sense. That's what we expect of others. What we do or don't do. I'm so glad that our God is not fair. And that is the good news. That's the gospel. In faith and confidence in our weakness, we can continue to bring our requests to God through Jesus Christ, our mediator, because we know that we will receive far more than just crumbs. No, our God is not fair, and we should give thanks for that. He came to forgive and to be unfair with mercy and with grace. Thank you, dear God, for not giving us what we deserve And we continue to pray that your will be done, not ours. He does do all things well. And that gives us peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, fairness and judgment. May it guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.